change careers, break into new industries, transition into new roles, reinvent yourself and make the dent you want. This is the Second Breaks Podcast. And now, here's your host and fellow Second Breaker, Lou Blazer. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is episode 54 of the Second Breaks Podcast, and it is Monday, June 11th, as I record this episode. June 11th, 2018, I should say, as I record this episode. I am joined today by former litigation lawyer, Yana Banzen. In 2012, Yana was living in Toronto, and she decided to pack her things into a storage locker and moved to Thailand. It was an open-ended plan that led to discoveries and a new career direction for her eventually. When I spoke to Yana for this episode, she was living in Costa Rica, teaching yoga in a yoga retreat uh, place, among other things. So clearly, this was a pretty significant career move, career change for Yana. But it wasn't only a career change. It was also... Uh, in her case, a change in the way that she approaches life and how she defines success. And in this episode, we talk about why and how all these changes came about, what she's learned in the process, and how she's uh, applied and transformed her life to implement or to apply all the things that she's learned. But before we get into her story, I just wanted to cover a couple of things with you. First, I received a number of messages about the first year anniversary of this podcast. In case you missed it, last week was the celebratory episode, episode 53, where I talked about my five takeaways from a year of podcasting. And as it so happens, my first key takeaway, which was you can move forward with your plan, even when you're scared, bleep resonated with a number of listeners. Thank you so much for all the well wishes. And I do want to reiterate something that I said in last week's episode that I'm really looking to, I guess, sort of uh, open the dialogue between us. Uh, Podcasting is funny (laughs) in that to some degree it can be quite a private or even intimate connection because if you think about it, I'm in your ears as you're likely doing things like driving or riding the subway or doing house chores, walking about, things like that. And yet it can also be very lonely for me, at least it's can, it can be, you know, really one way kind of thing. I can't really know how you're responding to these episodes. I only know what the, the stats that my podcast hosting company gives me. So anyway, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Tell me which episodes resonated, if you have questions, if you have topics that you'd like me to cover, or, you know, even just to say hello. I mean, tell me what you're doing as you're listening to the podcast. I would love to hear from you. You have several ways to connect. It's your choice, really. You can email me, lou at secondbreaks.com. You can reach me via LinkedIn, Just search for Lou Blazer, L-O-U-B-L-A-S-E-R. You can leave a comment on the show notes page, or you can tweet me at Second Breaks. All right, I think that's a good enough plea for now. Um, The other thing that I wanted to cover before we get on with Yana's story, actually, I forgot to mention this last week when I talked about future plans for this episode or for this podcast. One of the things that I'd like to, to, to do going forward, really to increase the usefulness of the show, 
is to explore relevant news or developments. Not to worry, these aren't going to be political news of any kind. We've got enough other places to get those. And the podcast, this podcast is not a political show. But as I go about my usual reading and research, if an article or a news item has relevance or importance to our careers, and in particular, if it's related to the future of work topic, which I'm quite big on, I might bring it up here on the show. So on that note, the uh, other day, this article uh, from Wired magazine caught my attention because I thought it was another sort of sign of the times, another industry, which in this case, it was the auto industry was the subject of this article that's getting disrupted and facing a tidal wave of change. As the author wrote, in an age where car sharing Ride hailing and self driving make the idea of renting a car and driving it yourself seem ridiculously old fashioned. Avis is hungry for new ideas and new revenue streams. So the article was really talking about and using Avis as an example. Uh, Avis is currently exploring different ideas. It's basically trying to innovate and stay ahead of the curve before it gets disrupted out of the industry or out of the marketplace. Kind of like, you know, think about what happened to Blockbuster, for example, years ago. And so they're looking, Avis is looking to test out different things to see what works for them and for the marketplace, for the evolving marketplace. So I bring this article up because uh, one, if you happen to work in the auto industry, this is something that you want to be paying attention to. You want to be asking yourself if what's happening is something that might affect you and your field of work. And conversely, what opportunities might these changes bring about for you? I mean, opportunities that you could take advantage of, right? And then the other reason I wanted to bring this up is because this article is actually a good example of the kinds of shifts and disruption that's happening in almost every industry. And we can learn from what the most progressive companies are doing to stay ahead or even just to stay afloat. So I will put a link to the article in the show notes in case you're interested in reading the whole thing. You're listening to the Second Race Podcast, a weekly show that explores what it really takes to make a move in today's fast-changing world. This podcast is brought to you by Second Breaks, a career education and training company focused on helping you navigate and thrive in the new economy. In addition to this podcast, Second Breaks hosts webinars, workshops, and other events to provide you with emerging career strategies paired with timeless practices to help your career move. On that note, I would like to invite you to sign up for Career Boss Weekly. It's really the best way to stay in the loop of future Second Breaks events and get weekly career move ideas from yours truly. You can sign up for the Career Boss Weekly when you go to secondbreaks.com. The show notes for today's episode can be found on secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 54. Okie dokie, let's get on with the show. Just one note as I transition to my chat with Yana, please excuse the background noise. Yana was staying in an uh, eco lodge in Costa Rica when we had this conversation and there was a bit of background around her. So I reduced as much of it as I could, but 
I couldn't remove all. So I guess, I guess it just adds a bit of ambience to the conversation. That's、uh, probably apropos for our topic. Hello, Yana. Welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Lou. Thank you for inviting me over. So, in 2012, you were in Canada practicing law as a litigation lawyer, and then something happened that pushed you to pack your things into a storage locker and move to Thailand. Can you take us back to that moment, Yana, and talk a little bit about? What was happening, and what were you planning to do when you packed your stuff into a locker, into a storage locker? <laughs> so, I was realizing that I was spending so much time doing something that was, on the outside, quite fulfilling because I was,、um, you know, getting money for these people who were injured and. When you hand them that huge check, they 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 loved you and they were so grateful. And now they had a chance to rebuild their life with you know their injuries and start their life over. And I felt so、um, so good being in that position. But I also spent just countless hours doing you know paperwork and reading small print. <laughs> And the whole time, I had this nagging feeling within me that would say, "You're supposed to be doing something else. You're meant to be doing other stuff. This is not it. You're supposed to be doing something else right now. This is not you. This is not what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life." And I think I didn't listen to that、uh, nudge from my intuition, of course, because I lived my whole life from my head, and I didn't listen to my heart. I just listened to my left hemisphere, and、uh, I thought that's what's gonna give me, you know, all the success in life and bring,、uh, you know, the money, and therefore my personal value and approval in the eyes of others. So I didn't listen to that, and so I think that's when life sort of throws things at you. That force you to change that direction. Around the same time, at the end of 2015, I got a diagnosis that I had cervical dysplasia, and my work contract also had ended. And the law firm decided not to renew it. And for a split moment, I thought, "Oh my God, this is the worst day of my life." And then the next moment. <laughs> I realized that this is the best thing that could have happened to me. I realized that on the outside, my life looked perfect. I had this beautiful condo. I had the lowest body fat percentage, and like my life looked so beautiful on the outside. And I was like strict paleo diet and like no sugar intake. And but I was running on coffee and anxiety, and. That's what ruled my life. You know, you would wake up in a, in a in a panic, and you would go to bed in a panic if you're able to fall asleep. So when those two things happened, I realized that I think my body is trying to tell me something. That even though things look perfectly for others, you know, in your life and around you, and they think that you have this perfect life with a loving boyfriend and the, these things and so much money in the account that. I don't even have time to spend all that money because I'm in the office the whole time. So I thought I need to 
turn my mind towards what it is within me that's creating, you know, this toxicity and creating these cells that, you know, if untreated cervical dysplasia sometimes can lead to cervical cancer within 10 years from when you discover it. Then my boyfriend at the time uh, was in a similar situation where he was trying trying to find alignment in his life and trying to find clients that were more aligned with who he was. And so he packed his condo in his locker. I packed my condo in my locker and he suggested uh, listen, there's this island that I passed through once uh, coming back from Japan. Uh, why, why don't I show you this island? It's quite magical. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that sounds amazing. That sounds like something I want to do. And so off we went and we spent probably two weeks there in Thailand in this unknown land and on an island probably the size of my you know, room now, <laughs> a very tiny island. And then we realized that we need to be walking in different directions away from each other. <laughs> and so I have all these things, right? Breaking up with law, breaking up with my own body, this breakup of the relationship uh, with the person who was the most important in my life. And so that's, I guess that's what happened. <laughs> Yeah, I gotcha. So when you when you went to Thailand initially with your boyfriend, and then were you thinking you were just going to be there for a couple of weeks? Or were you thinking you were going to stay there for a while? No, we got one way tickets. And I think in our mind, we had the thought of traveling around, you know, seeing Vietnam and like seeing all these other places that are around and traveling maybe around Thailand. But I think like we both love that island so much that we just stayed there. I think we did little stints, you know, outside. But I stayed, yeah, the, the entire time there for almost six months. Wow. So what did, you en- what did you end up doing in Thailand? Well, so after the breakup, um, we wanted to still be there for each other. And so, he was, you know, we were still kind of friends and trying to support each other through the breakup as well because we didn't have anyone who was close to us on the island. We were, we were the closest thing to each other, right? But, you know, through that experience of, of the breakup and being in a new place, I think I also realized just like how it is possible to transform the anger and the jealousy and like this feeling of victimhood into something else and that it's a choice like you can you can make a choice to move from one state of being into another and the toughest thing you will probably do is just to decide to decide that you're done with the suffering to decide that you're done with being wherever you are and to decide to transmute that pain into something like joy and, and, you know, and, and, and love for, for everything that is anyway. So if I understand correctly, you had been doing yoga or you had been practicing yoga even before, right? Even before you moved to Thailand. But then once you were in Thailand, you got, you, you dove into yoga. Did I understand it correctly? Or, or you got certified even or something along those lines? Yeah, so I had been doing yoga probably for a year and not very consistently. Um, it was offered for free in, in my beautiful condo. <laughs> so 
So, so I went to all the classes and I realized that in that hour, I was able to go somewhere else, you know, go into a place that was a bit deep, deeper than just this physical body, this physical being of mine. And I was able to go, you know, beyond the mind, the mind that was like ruling my life. You know, I also realized that for a majority of my life, I was doing things to escape myself as well. Shopping, eating, hanging out with friends, Netflix, all of these things, buying things, right? Uh, accumulating more, just like adding more to yourself. It was all done to like either fill the hole on the inside that I felt was there or to just escape what was going on. And so when I got to Thailand, I thought this is a perfect space to learn about yoga. There's so much of, of yoga going on and like, you know, authentic Indian traditional yoga, not not the, the tight, stretchy, plastic pants yoga that's happening in the West. And the school I attended, um, Sama Karuna on Kopangan, really focused on teaching us uh, how to how to transcend your, your you know your daily being, how to how to bring happiness into your life and joy, and how to basically transcend the mind and 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 not be in in your head, and how to listen to your heart, and how to make decisions based not on fear and based on joy and based on a feeling of expansion and not live out of your anxieties which you know is the conditioning that i was instilled through you know through my family and the ancestry so so yeah it was less about you know postures and more about healing yourself and then being that healer for others in in the yoga class mm -hmm. and uh, moving people from a state of identifying with their thoughts all the time 24 7 and thinking that they are fear and that they are the anxiety and that they are the repetitive thoughts and moving them away from that into a state of just awareness that those thoughts arise and and it's okay and you just say as the presence behind those words, those thoughts. It sounds like a fantastic experience, Yana. But I was wondering whether uh, at that time, uh, were you thinking or sort of what were your plans with respect to your law career? Were you thinking, I'm done with law, I don't want to go be a lawyer anymore? Or what were you thinking with respect to, to that? When I was in Thailand, I had no clear plan of what I was going to do. My only plan was to connect to sort of, you know, the intelligence within that would then guide me. And so that was my plan, to learn how to tap into, you know, the intelligence of, of intuition and my heart and then just follow that. And wherever that took me, I knew that it would take me to the place where I needed to be rather than making these decisions from my mind again. And But I also knew that I wouldn't want to practice law the way I did before. Litigation was insane, you know. it's uh, People will say, oh, it's easy being a lawyer. It's like riding a bike, except you're on fire, the bike's on fire, and everything's in fire, and, and you're in hell. 
I knew that I didn't want to go back to that. I, I knew that was not for me and that my body was not aligned with that. And that if I did get back into that, then I would get a slap in the face from life again in the form of a disease or, you know, a mental breakdown, basically. I think I was like really close to that <laughs> had I not left. <laughs> right, right. So what happened? So um, you were in Thailand for six months. And then what happened? And then one day I got a feeling that I need to go back and I couldn't explain it, but I just knew that my time in Thailand was done and it was coming to an end. And I had no other plan other than just, just following that feeling, even though it made zero sense. And I thought I'm here, I can keep traveling. I can go to Bali. I can do anything I want. I have still tons of money living there was cheap. This makes no sense. Why am I going back to Toronto? Anyway, and so I did, though. I listened to that. And um, and then I also remembered that a friend of mine recommended a while back that I apply to work with Deloitte as, as a freelancer and be on their um, legal project solutions team. And so I flew in on a Wednesday. <laughs> I applied on Thursday. I interviewed on Friday and then I started work on Monday. <laughs> and months later, I only realized that this was it. This was the feeling like this is why I needed to go back at the time when I did go back. And, you know, it further like reinforces the, the belief that your, your intelligence that's beyond the mind will be always right. And your only job is just to follow that and not override it with fear and anxiety and more thoughts and more overthinking. Uh, if I understand correctly, you are utilizing your education still and your experience in law, but applying it differently. So you've left the litigation practice and you're now a consultant? Yeah. So what I do is I uh, do a document analysis in preparation for for litigation. So I still work for lawyers who do litigation. So um, within litigation, there's you know the process of discovery where both sides are presenting um, documentary evidence and any evidence they have to each other for disclosure and. Nowadays, there's so much electronic data, right, that we have to sift through all of that. So, so that's my job, you know, looking at the documents after the algorithms and the programs and the software has looked at it and, you know, done first level kind of relevant, irrelevant um, sifting. Then it's my job to sort of analyze what's in them and how relevant they are and what the documents talk about. So there's a little bit of you know, report writing and reporting still. Um, but yeah, the skills of, you know, reading as fast as you can. <laughs> and, yeah, using those analytical skills and and, and making calls on, on what's going to be useful and what's not going to be useful for litigation. But it feels, I imagine it feels different from when you were a practicing litigation lawyer versus this role that you had now taken up. So what's changed, I guess? Is it is it the nature of the work itself for you or is it because you're bringing in a different sort of work-life balance or mindset or approach to your work? Yeah, so the work itself is very much 
one type of work. So whereas before I was, you know, torn apart between um, a clerk coming into my office, opposing counsel calling, an arbitrator calling, uh, the partner yelling at me across the hall, between trying to do all of that and then at the end of the day feeling like I've just given so much and I haven't lived a single breath for myself, now I'm just able to really focus in on, on one task and, and do that and do that to the best of my ability and and still feel like I've served someone, you know. And of course with that comes an element of just living in, in, in a state of ease and, and, and still finding fulfillment in, in the doing, you know, because I think as, as humans, for as long as you have this body, you still need the satisfaction of doing something and like finishing it and like submitting it and, um, and getting paid for, <laughs> for doing Of course, that. that's important. And I think you, uh, you've also uh, taken up yoga further along, right? So do you, do you actually teach yoga now or what have you done with the yoga practice? Yeah, so now um, I'm in Costa Rica and I'm teaching retreats every single day. We have people coming in, you know, for a week, six nights, seven nights, two nights, whatever. And they stay at this beautiful eco lodge and they get, you know, two yoga lessons a day and they get to eat this beautiful food. And have an amazing cook and the space is just gorgeous and it's dry season now so it's really dry and so but it's gorgeous it's 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 beautiful and there's just so much space here to just be you know and people have left saying you know this retreat changed my life and I'm gonna make huge changes in my life and I'm gonna like live differently and people have this like heart-opening experience and I see them come in you know with in their heads and like just preoccupied with thoughts and and they come in with their you know conditioned personalities attached to like who they are like I'm a doctor I'm, I'm a nurse I'm, I'm whatever and then they leave and at the end of the class I can see it too and I can feel that they've gone beyond just like who they are you know in their job and their families like I'm no longer this and I'm no longer that. They're just in pure, you know, like state of being, which is just so, I don't know, it's magical. That's that's the magical part of yoga where, where you can go from being a human to, to having that spirit experience, you know. Mm. So you say you're teaching yoga, you're holding these retreats. Is this part of a group? Like how... Are you doing it on your by yourself on your own, or is it part of a group of yogis? Or so last year when I was in Toronto, I had a week off between projects with Deloitte, and I thought it's July. I don't want to stay in Toronto. Come, and so then I thought I want to do more yoga. I want to like you know dedicate this week to yoga and connect back to myself. And just spend my week doing that and then I would come back and I have a new project starting I made the decision very quickly too I found out on a Tuesday that I would have the next seven days off I looked online and I thought okay I need to narrow down the continent at least of where I'm going <laughs> Thailand's way too far for a week so I thought Costa Rica makes sense okay this is good this feels good and so I looked through uh, yoga retreats 
in Costa Rica and there was one that offered retreats that was starting every single day and I thought this is bizarre this is very flexible and works for me but strange you know retreats are usually like we start on this day we finish on this day and I thought this is for me like this this very flexible place <laughs> this is for me so I called them and I said, can I come over on a random day, you know, stay for seven days? And they said, of course, we have retreats starting every day. And so I didn't really realize what I was signing up for until I got here. <laughs> and so you get here and basically it's it's a lodge and people come and stay. But every single day there's yoga in the morning, there's a meditation walk and there is, you know, all this food that you're fed. And you don't have to worry about a thing. And there's an evening class and there's, uh, you know, we have a massage person and, and Reiki and I do Reiki now as well. So people just come whenever they want to come and they leave when they want to leave. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of not as structured as most retreats would be, but it offers everything, you know, those left hemisphere structured retreats would offer. <laughs> so are you uh, living permanently in Costa Rica now and doing the the project works with Deloitte while you're there? Yeah, that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how long this uh, will go on for because again, I feel like I'm just going to stay for as long as it feels right and then go when I need to go. So, but right now that's that's what I'm doing, yeah. Fantastic. I love that life and I love your story. So you don't want, do you, how often do you travel to Toronto, if even? You're not doing the one week anymore. You're just there permanently and you're doing the work, you know, remotely. Right. So I left uh, one of my projects, the main project that I was on was available remotely back in September. And I thought, okay, well, this project is managed from Calgary, from BC, from Kitchener, all over Canada. And um, I thought, I'm going to take, you know, a couple months and go see my parents and, and stay with my parents in Calgary because I haven't seen them in a while. And I was also realizing, you know, with yoga and meditation, you start living a life that's more authentic and, and true to yourself. And so I was realizing that in that process, I was moving away from certain friends and I was only keeping relationships that were authentic and, and true and felt good in my heart. And I realized I'm doing that for random people, friends and strangers, but I'm not doing that with my own parents. My own parents don't even know who I am anymore. They still live with the idea of who they think I should be or who they think I am rather than being present with like who I actually am now and so I thought I'm gonna spend this time with them and we're gonna have conversations and they're gonna be difficult and it's gonna be tough and I can see a lot of tears in my future <laughs> but these painful conversations are the ones that are the most worthwhile to have you know because I realized I needed or I wanted to have that next level of, of intimacy with my parents. I didn't want it to be this shallow surface relationship anymore. So I thought it will only happen if I if I if I make it happen, if if I if I push myself onto them <laughs> and, and and force them to live with me. No, they were they were so happy that I could stay with them. That's great. Uh, a couple a couple more questions, uh Yana. So I'm just curious, uh 
you know, during this transformation uh, that you're you're going through, you know, even in the beginning and as you're you're working it out and evolving, do you find that your the network of people that you knew before or your friends, right? Your friends or cir- your circle of friends and the network of people that you knew from before when you were a lawyer, either a full-time lawyer, did they understand the changes that you're going through and were they supportive and kind of walk us through how you explained if you did or communicated the the transformation that you're going through right so i guess the first part is like how did people react right so some have reached out when i lived in thailand they've reached out back then and some still are reaching out and asking me how are you able to do this like how are you able to live in thailand and how are you now in costa rica how long are you here for what the hell are you doing are you still are you practicing did you say bye to law what is going on right because people don't know that this is possible people feel like you just need to be in a law firm that's the only way to be a lawyer and a lot have reached out saying that you know they read my story on my website and then they say this is crazy this is exactly how i feel i feel like i'm going to have a breakdown anytime i don't know what the hell i signed up for i can't maintain this life forever i feel like i'm just surviving i'm not i'm not thriving i sure wasn't so i know exactly how they feel and so many people say oh you know like you're such an inspiration and it's like you have so much courage to do this and there's that sample of people right and um actually someone asked me this exact same question yesterday and then there's people who are kind of like on the sidelines but they're like liking my content and putting little hearts and and they and they feel supportive uh but they're not yet i guess in a place where they want to have a conversation about it and but because i have these people who have reached out and said i felt the same way uh i know that many people are feeling this way and i think there's so much fear in the profession to first of all even admit that because you're not supposed to tell anyone that you're having a hard time and same in medicine the stigma around the fact that you're not really handling it well that like at some point something has to give this profession is not a forgiving profession <laughs> and the most probably judgmental people are also going to be you know the partners you work for they're going to recognize okay well this is maybe not the person we thought he was when we hired him you know like he looked so tough and now look at him he's crying as in his office and eating chocolate what is going on so not that i know anyone who does that <laughs> so there's been you know a wealth of of responses but i'm also realizing that the people are also just seeing me for who I am and they know my personality and 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 they like what I'm doing because they like me before as well you know <laughs> and 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 some have said you know over the years you've become more you and you sort of have stepped more into you know like your own authenticity and 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 who you really are and it's true you know I've lived 30 years of my life doing what I thought I should be doing or doing worse what I thought others wanted me to do you know and uh, and even with the with choosing the profession itself you know I we immigrated to Canada when I was 16 so and I feel like 
every immigrant story is the same. You you know, the parents tell you that, you know, when they immigrated, they were 40 and their lives were over at 40 and they've, they've moved to Canada because of you. And so now it's all on you to, you know, make it right and make the future for yourself and for them. But implicitly, of course, no one says that out loud. <laughs> so, oh, and the way I've explained, I, you know, I stopped explaining myself. I just do what I do. Ah, that's great. Excellent. That's brilliant. A couple more questions, Diana. So what's a, maybe a book, fiction or nonfiction, that you've read recently that's made an impact on you and that you would recommend? The one that I think changed my life was Eckhart Tolle's, uh, you know, Power of Now and, and most of his writing. But more than his writing, his, his speaking and like the, the, the being with him and like hearing him, you know, I think that has had more impact. But in terms of books, yeah, I would say Power of Now. One final question, Yana, where can people find you online? Right, so there's uh, the website, bandsandyoga.com. There's Instagram, Bands and Yoga. There's Facebook, Bands and Yoga. <laughs> well, great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Yana. I loved your story, and I love hearing you explain or talk about it. Thank you so much for being gracious to share your story with me and my audience. Oh, thank you for having me. That takes care of this week's episode. I hope you found it useful. You'll find the show notes for this episode along with other relevant resource links at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 54. If you enjoyed this episode, would you leave me a rating or review on iTunes? That would help me out tremendously. You can go to secondbreaks.com forward slash review to get the step-by-step instructions on how to do it. You might as well hit that subscribe button on your podcast player now so you never have to miss future episodes. You bet I will be back next week with a new guest and a new career story. Until then, keep on making your day, my friend. Cool beans! This is the Second Breaks Podcast. <laughs>